The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Alcohol Across America with your host, Dr. Brad Krever, along with a weekly panel of co-hosts. Our program examines the impact of beverage alcohol on public health and safety, the nation's economy, and American culture. Each week, we discuss current trends and issues. Now, here's your host, Dr. Brad Krever. Welcome to Alcohol Across America, our weekly examination of how alcohol beverages and the industry impact our lives, our communities, and our economy. I'm Brad Krever, and I'm joined today by co-host Charles Curry for a really fascinating examination of what we are learning about alcoholism and how it can be treated. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Brad. Uh, It's wonderful to be back with you today on Alcohol Across America, and uh, I just uh, appreciate the fact that uh, I had the opportunity of being your co-host for this series, and today, of course, we have our third and last segment in the series, Alcohol and Health. Um, our first program considered how to prevent alcohol overuse and misuse, and, and we considered evidence-based efforts to reduce and eliminate underage drinking, drunk driving, and binge drinking with the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility and Dr. Ralph Blackman. And while our second program last month uh, uh, considered uh, what the research tells us about the impact alcohol has on one's health, including the negative impact of alcohol abuse and overuse, and some of the health benefits research is saying uh, occur because of uh, a moderate uh, alcohol use, and Dr. Monica Gorovich, of course, was our uh, expert that day. Today, I'm very enthused about our program. Uh, we're privileged to have as our guest today Dr. Hal Urschel. Uh, Hal's an addiction psychiatrist and author of the best-selling book, Healing the Addicted Brain, as we take an up-close look at alcohol addiction as a biological disease and what the latest science tells us about effective treatments. Um, Dr. Urschel's practice, uh, you're located in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he, uh, Hal serves as chief of medical strategy for EnterHealth, uh, which is, uh, has, has a ranch as well as outpatient treatment programs. And, and I, I define it as a state-of-the-science addictions treatment program. And I might mention that um, Hal's background, I know he's been in, in this field for, uh, I was going to put a, about a quarter of a century, um, and uh, that you graduated from Princeton University with your undergraduate degree and the University of Texas Southwestern Medical School and University of Pennsylvania for your graduate medical training, and actually also have a master's in management from Stanford. So um, it's wonderful to have you here today, Hal. You and I have known each other for more than a decade and have had the opportunity to work together in educating the public and healthcare professionals about the latest research on on, on the brain and effective treatment for addictions. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to highlight in your background? And also, we like to give our guests an opportunity to talk about you've been in this field for quite some time. It's a challenging field. What keeps you motivated uh, to, to stay in this field and to stay fresh in this field? Hal, welcome. Thank you. Uh, what, what a great introduction. It's a pleasure to be here on the show today. Um, I, you know, the, 
the field of addiction is just getting started. We've had a few decades of research, um, and the science in addiction is showing us, in the brains of people that are addicted, is showing us some great treatments that we really need to get out into the regular clinical community. Unfortunately, a lot of treatment programs aren't using all the latest scientific tools, and um, so that's kind of what keeps me motivated, is to, is to see people that are suffering with this disease, the patients, the families, their their employers, their children, and to, to be able to, you know, they, they may have gone to treatment a couple of times, and then they come to EnterHealth where we can use the science and uh, use the use all, a lot of these really great treatments because we understand what's going on with the addicted brain now, and people get better, sometimes for the first time in a decade, and you can just see them, you can see the person coming back into themselves. People all the time say, hey, Dr. Urschel, you know, I, I thought I lost my husband. He's back now because he's sober and, and his brain's coming back online, he's like he used to be. And it's really quite rewarding. And that's kind of what gets me up every day. Well, that, that's wonderful, Hal. I mean, the, the one thing that has impressed me about you is, is uh, you, you just don't look at being a, a treatment provider, uh, a, a psychiatrist, if you will, which is very important in and of itself, but also furthering the field and advancing the field on behalf of people and uh, really taking a look at the science. And that's very, very exciting. We know that uh, whether it's a family member, friend, or, or, or work colleague, almost everybody has been impacted one way or another by what has been commonly referred to as alcoholism. Uh, however, with that said, there seems to be a lot of misconception about the nature of alcohol addiction and an understanding of effective treatments, as you were saying, uh, moving to the direction of effective treatments. What would you classify as some of the, or describe as some of the myths, if you will, when it comes to alcohol addiction treatment? Well, yeah, I think the, the worst, most destructive myth is that addiction is a moral weakness or still a sin. And, you know, probably when I started EnterHealth around 10 years ago with some really brilliant partners, um, you know, th- that was still a very focused belief by a, lot of, a large majority of America. There's probably about 30% of America left that still believe it's a weakness, that it's a matter of choice, that it's, a, that it's actually a sin, um, that these poor, poor um Alcoholics and addicts need to be prayed over, and they need to find the Lord and that and to get better. And that's that's a myth out there that you know this, they have a medical illness. The spiritual piece of recovery is incredibly important, um, but this is um, this is this is another myth out there that's related. To that is that this is not treatable. Most physicians don't believe that addiction is treatable because they've never been taught how to use the scientific tools to get people better, and so. To dispel the myth, this this is not a this is not a moral weakness or a sin. This is a brain illness. We have hard data, in decades of research to to prove that. And treatment people get better all the time um, when you apply the right tools and you understand what's going on this in this disease. And hopefully, we can discuss a lot of those issues today. Well, well, Hal, it's interesting. You, you refer to addiction as a biological disease, and, and you paint this uh, clear picture in your book, Healing the Addicted Brain, and uh, where you say that the brain is actually changed because of addiction. Um, and, and also, we, we use the word dependence. Uh, can you tell us exactly what it means uh, for the uh, brain to be changed, and, and, and this is a biological disease, and maybe talk a little bit about the difference between addiction, if there is any, and dependence? 
Right. Well, and so, uh, great. Let me just start with the last question first. So, so in terms of terminology, there's several words that we use to discuss this brain illness. One is addiction, so alcohol or drug addiction. Also, the same alcohol dependence or drug dependence, that means the same thing. That's more the scientific name for, depend, for addiction. And then uh, to make even th- things even more complicated, um, they recently in the last couple of years, they've come out with another term called uh, use disorder. So alcohol use disorder, drug use disorder, cocaine use disorder, marijuana use disorder. So use disorder, addiction, dependence, all mean the same thing. It talks about a brain illness where the brain is changed. And so I just want everybody to understand sort of our terminology. Well, that's this really is good. a biological that's great this is a biological disease. Um, we, the brain is changed. Chronic exposure to alcohol and or drugs, all of which are neurotoxins. That means they injure the brain cells. In some cases, they damage it where the, where the brain cells can get repaired, but most of the time they just injure them where if you can stop poisoning the brain for a period of time, maybe 6 to 18 months of complete sobriety, your brain reboots many times back to normal. Um, and that's that's amazing to see that the trick is, you know, in terms of treatment, stopping the use of alcohol and drugs is not hard. It's easy to stop. The problem is not to restart. You can stop and promise yourself last night was the last time I was going to use, but the hard thing is 3 o'clock to, you know, 5 o'clock happy hour the next day, that's when it's hard not to restart. So being able to keep somebody sober, helping them, giving them the tools, et cetera, we can discuss later in the talk uh, today. That's what the real challenge it is. And, and so this chronic exposure injures the brain to the extent of, think of it as the brain being rewired. It rewires certain areas of the brain. And what happens is you end up getting changes in terms of your memory, decision-making, impulsivity, learning. All these things kind of go offline or become extremely um, underperforming for you as, as a person. And Basically, many times people had to drink or use for, for months or, and or years, sometimes decades before this rewiring occurred. So when you stop, everybody wants the patient to get better within a couple of days or weeks. Well, it's going to take quite a few months for the brain to rewire itself once you stop poisoning it. But when that happens, the, you see the person back back online, it's incredibly rewarding, and the person's extremely happy, as is the family, the employer, the church members, whatever. So that's, that's what we mean by a bio, biological disease, that people use substances, a percentage of everybody that uses, so maybe 10%, maybe 5, 10 to 15% of everybody that drinks alcohol gets addicted, all right? Addicted means a switch in the brain flips, and once that switch flips, that means the brain's rewired so much that you can't stop on your own anymore. Okay. So, again, most people drink alcohol, don't get addicted. Most people use drugs, don't get addicted. But the, the percentage that do, they have a real problem, and those are the people that have a brain illness that need to be treated with the scientific methods you know, that come out from the research. And that's, that's, that's what we talk about is a biological disease. It's not a matter of willpower anymore. You've lost control over the use. You can't logic your way out of treatment. Uh, you can't logic your way out of the disease in most cases. Well, this whole notion of rewiring, it it really does give you insight as to why when you said earlier in in the show that you've seen people, uh, you've had people tell you, I have my husband back or I have my wife or my daughter or son back. uh, It it truly changes the personality. It is like the person becomes a different person if you're talking about rewiring of the brain. 
It is, and you can actually see the rewiring on certain scans. You can see that the brain develops not real holes, but essential holes in certain scanning technologies. And it really, that, that rewiring means that this person's not functioning. Their brain's not functioning. Their brain is injured. And what I like to use is an analogy, and listen carefully here, because I'm, I'm going to say something that I don't want it to come across incorrectly, is... When you are when you're actively using alcohol and drugs and you're addicted, it's like your brain has Alzheimer's. Okay, it's not you don't have Alzheimer's. Doctor Urschel didn't say you have Alzheimer's. That addiction is not Alzheimer's, but it's very similar to Alzheimer's. When you have Alzheimer's, the person that used to be in that in that body is not there anymore. You have trouble with memory. You have trouble with focus. Difficulty with impulsivity, etc. Uh, when you have Alzheimer's at least at this point with our science and treatment, you're, not, you're really never going to get better in most cases. Addiction is the polar opposite. It looks very similar to Alzheimer's because in both cases your brain's injured. But when you stop and your brain reboots itself with addiction, alcohol and drug addiction, you actually get the person back. The, fun, the brain function comes back. The, the, the planning abilities, the, the compassion, the insight, all these things come back as the brain slowly rewires itself. And some of the medications we have actually help to accelerate that rewiring so you get better a little faster. And it makes, some of the medicines make it easier to stay sober because uh, it, it kind of stops some of the brain short-circuiting in the areas that are so impactful in terms of generating cravings and, and um, triggers. Well, it's interesting as you talk about uh, alcoholism uh, as a biological disease, rewiring the brain, uh, the person no longer can make decisions like they make, the cravings take over. Uh, it, it explains in, in large part why alcoholism has been referred to as a relapsing disorder. Uh, this gives yes. us the idea that there's little hope of recovery, too. Uh, I've heard people say, why invest dollars or resources if the person's just going to relapse? Uh, I think you've done a nice job explaining some of what contributes to the relapse. Uh, uh, could you talk a little bit about what what are some of the typical relapse rates? Because it has been a real issue. And what do we see in terms of relapse rates of perhaps historically some of the programs? I mean, AA's talked about a lot, but there seems to be a high rate of relapse even with that approach. Right. And, you know, and so um, the AA, and our AA was created Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, which is also the same thing as Narcotics Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous. The 12-step movement was created back in the 30s, okay, of 1930s. Um, and so it really came into its own in the 1950s. And for a while, that's all we had for treatment for alcohol and drug addiction. When you talk to AA people that work the program, et cetera, I usually say the research has shown that basically you have about a 25% success rate with AA. That means 75% of the people that use the AA model will relapse, not just after a few months, but over years. Okay, So it works really well for about 25%. Um, and when I say that, a lot of AA members said, oh, Dr. Urschel, that's too generous. It's much less than that. I said, but let's just give it the benefit of that 25%. 75% of the people that go into that type of treatment, if they're just using AA, that's not an acceptable you know, term for a life-threatening illness like alcohol and drug addiction because this is, you know, alcoholism is the third leading cause of death behind cancer and heart disease. And it contributes to both of those as well. So we've got to make sure that we get a better chance, we get a better success rate. 
Um, but what ha- how, when we have that now, when you use the science, when, now that we understand what addiction is, we, it is a brain issue, you treat it as a brain injury, you treat it with the latest tools, and you incorporate AA as part of the treatment, okay? AA is not all the treatment. AA is a piece of the treatment. Yeah, you can have a 75 to 80% success rate, which that means only a 20% relapse rate versus a 75% relapse rate. That's huge, it's absolutely life-changing. That's paradigm-changing. The problem is we're not getting the information out there. Um, that is one of my passions that you mentioned earlier, Charlie, is to get the information out there because we still have treatment programs that believe that AA is, is it, and AA alone is the only thing that these addicts need. And if they're relapsing, they're not, they're not going to enough meetings. They're not reading the big book enough. They're not wanting it badly enough. Um, they're not working the steps correctly. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. These people are trying really hard but the problem is their brain's not working and they don't have the right tools in their brain to help them you know stay away from making bad decisions or stay away what? from from you know people places or things yeah. and what? it's it's too it's too it's, it, this is a life threatening illness if it's your loved one your 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 daughter your son your yeah. your spouse you well, don't want we, to we, Right. We want to pick up on this in, in our next segment. We we need to take a, a short break here, but it okay, sounds like you're great. making a distinction between treatment also and recovery. And uh, uh, thanks for helping us gain insight, Hal, into alcohol dependence and science versus myths. Again, it's time for us to take a break. And this is Charlie Curie along with Alcohol Across America host Brad Crever on Voice America's business channel. When we return, we'll talk about treatments for addictions that really work. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Responsible Retailing Forum is a leader in the industry, bringing together public and private stakeholders, regulatory and enforcement agencies, attorneys general, public health agencies and producers, and community leaders and researchers in order to identify and promulgate best practices for responsible retailing and engage the stakeholders in examinations of responsible retailing policies. For more information on RR Forum or its partners, or how your community can get involved, please visit rrforum.org. Starting and running a business can be hard. Moving forward and keeping the excitement alive can be difficult to do. I'm Joe Hosman. If you are experiencing the struggles of opening or sustaining a business or even knowing you need a change in your life, you want to tune in to my show, Go For It. My guests and I will show you the steps needed to build something positive in your week. Listen every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Thank you. 
You're listening to Alcohol Across America. We'd love to hear from you with questions and comments about our program. Please send an email to crever at rrforum.org. That's K-R-E-V-O-R at rrforum.org. Now back to Alcohol Across America. Welcome back to Alcohol Across America. I'm Charlie Curie with our host, Brad Crever. We continue our conversation with author and addiction psychiatrist, Dr. Hal Urschel. Uh, Brad, um, I, I know that you had some thoughts uh, to express and questions for Hal. Yeah, my first thought is that this is tremendously interesting. Uh, the direct question to Hal is, um, you talked about the uh, the alcoholic uh, has an impaired decision-making ability, and I certainly see how that applies in terms of whether I'm okay to drive or am I okay to have another drink. But what about how the personality is changed as a result of drinking uh, in one's life, whether you're drunk at that moment or not? Well, I, but I think you bring up a really excellent point. When we're talk, when I'm talking about an alcoholic making poor decisions, there are two point. There's two possible scenarios. One is the alcoholic is still in their active use phase, where they're still using alcohol, and when they're still using alcohol, once alcohol is in your brain, many physiologically, many of the brain, your brain areas just go to sleep. So your judgment's impaired, your driving ability's impaired, your ability to Rain in your emotions, you get easily angered or easily sad or easily violent, much more because you're intoxicated. Um, the, what I've been really talking about in, 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 my, in the last segment was the fact is, let's assume that an alcoholic's actually in, trying to be in recovery and they're staying sober. When they're, so whether, even if the alcoholic's impaired, they're actually drinking alcohol, their brain still hurt, and you have a hurt brain that you put alcohol into so it makes it doubly hurt, okay? Like when I was talking about Alzheimer's, if you give an, al- an Alzheimer's patient, if you get them drunk, you, you know, you, you kind of give them a double whammy. Their brain's already not working too well, and you actually have um, uh, the, the alcohol intoxication on top of that physiologically. So with, with the alcoholic, the personality change occurs tw- in two places. One is you, if you just drink and you're not even an alcoholic, many times people say, well, gosh, when he's drunk, he changes his personality. He becomes from a very nice guy to a very violent or a very mean or a very sad person. That's because alcohol is changing neurochemical uh, balances in your brain acutely for a short time, and then the alcohol wears off and your personality comes back. However, if you're an alcoholic and you've done chronic use of alcohol over years or decades and you develop the disease, neurochemical systems are permanently or, or, or temporarily changed for like a year, six months to a year, and you may not get your personality, your real personality back for maybe even up to 18 months of your first period of sobriety. And why is that? Well, we, who we are, we have, you know, Brad and Charlie and Hal here on the, on the um, show today, we all who we are is we're our brains, this group of cells between our ears, in our skull, is who we are. That's your memories, that's your coping skills, those are your patterns. And whenever that's injured, whether it's a stroke, Alzheimer's, alcohol or drug addiction, um, a concussion, your, your brain changes, sometimes temporarily, sometimes permanently. Thank goodness with alcohol and drug addiction, with the right treatment, it's changed temporarily. Okay, does that make sense? And yes, so yes. We, we, we are not our liver. I mean, we're not our heart. We're not our knee. Okay, that's not who we are. Those are important organs or parts of our body. 
but our brain is our personality, and because the brain has been injured and changed neurochemically, um, that's why the personality changes, and in many cases, you know, a large number of cases with successful treatment comes back. Well, that's a great way to uh, transition to a, a related question. You talked about the uh, the alcoholic, whether he's drunk at that moment or not, uh, can be quick to anger. And one of the questions has been, is that an underlying anger that is now expressed because of the alcohol, or is that anger that's generated by being actively alcoholic, or does it even matter? It, you know, it, it's, it can be both. There's not, there's not one. You know, there's many different types of alcoholics. There's probably 12 different genetic subtypes of alcoholics. We have like 25 different genetic subtypes of opiate addiction, just like, you know, there's different types of heart disease or different types of liver disease. So each person's different. And at InterHealth, when we're treating patients, you know, we see each, I can see 12 alcoholics. They're all different. They're all different people from different walks of life, different family issues, different medical problems different numbers of drinks they had. So each person's really different. If you have an underlying anger that you're able to rein in when you're sober, sometimes when you get intoxicated, that anger will lash out. That's really common. Or sometimes if you're extremely depressed, that you're able to handle and, and sort of push away. When you're, when you're not intoxicated and you can go to work and function, you get intoxicated, the depression reappears because the, the part of your brain that was suppressing it kind of goes to sleep. And that's why a lot of times you know, when, you, when you get intoxicated, whether you're an alcoholic or not, this happens. So alcohol changes acutely the brain, but um, what, what, you need to, what you need to know is when somebody's intoxicated and they say really mean or, or bad things, they, that's not really them saying it. In most cases, that's, that's just, that's the alcohol or the drugs talking. And by the way, usually people aren't just using alcohol or they're not just using drugs. They're usually, they're usually using both. I mean, that's what we see in InterHealth is you're seeing people that use alcohol and pot or, you know, Valium and pot or opiates and Valium. You know, there's, there's, it's usually a combination these days. It's rare to just find a regular old, you know, alcoholic like you used to see a plethora of in the last, you know, two or three or four decades ago. And Charlie, if you forgive me for asking one more question, we sure. heard the term of a, a high-level, high-functioning addict or alcoholic. What's that mean? Yeah, so that's that's an excellent question, Brad. So a high-functioning alcoholic is somebody that actually is an alcoholic. So their brain is changed, but this alcoholism is on a spectrum. There's mild, moderate, severe and sort of chronic end stage. The chronic end stage is sort of, you know, the, the homeless person living under the bridge with no teeth and, you know, is bleeding every day, et cetera, but they're still alive, okay? They're, you know they're, they're in bad shape and not long for this world. A functioning alcoholic is somebody that's in the mild, the early phase of the disease. They dr- they've been drinking for a while, for a number of years. The switch flipped in their brain, but still enough of their brain functions left so they can function as a dad or a mom. They can go to work. Um, if they, they, they know they can regulate their drinking so they're not drinking during work, but they're drinking, you know, right, right when they get home and, you know, drink the rest of the evening and pass out. And, and then on the weekends, they just drink all day. Um, but they're still able to hold a job or, or to manage their responsibilities for the most part. And that's a phase of alcoholism that many times will, um, trick their loved one. Oh, he's not really an alcoholic because, look, he can still go to his job or he can still be there at his kid's football game without being drunk. But, you know, 
he's had two DWIs now, and in most weekends he's not around, or he makes he makes you know a fool of himself almost at every party he goes to now. Well, it, it's so hard to know you know when the disease is for a lot of people, but I can make it very simple. I'll make it real simple for the listeners. This is how you know if somebody's an alcoholic. We can't right now yet do a brain test or a genetic test or a blood test. We're probably five to ten years away from that. But somebody's an alcoholic if they continue to use alcohol or drugs, but in this terms, in this sense, alcohol. They continue to use alcohol even though it's causing problems for them. So if your wife or your husband's complaining about your alcohol use and you continue to use, you, use, you go hide it, great. You know, that's, that means you have a problem. Uh, if uh, you've had some tr- trouble with your drinking and showing up late for work and your boss is on you and you continue to drink, you're an alcoholic. You have a DWI. DWI. 85% of the people that have a DWI are an alcoholic, but 15% aren't. 15% say, hey, that was just a really bad, I was, that was bad luck. I'm not, I don't drink very often. I just got caught on Christmas or New Year's Eve. So that's, that's what you need to understand. In, in, in terms of um, if somebody's an alcoholic, then if they're functional, that's the time to get them treatment before they get worse. Because the longer, the, the more alcohol they put in, the longer they drink, the more alcohol they put in their brain, the more the brain's going to be injured, the longer it's going to take to get better. And is there always a transition to the next stage or phase of alcoholism, or do some high-functioning alcoholics manage to spend years and years and years at that level? Well, they might spend years in your bed. It's, all, it's a progressively deteriorating disease. If you continue to drink, you will continue to progressively get worse and worse. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's fast. Um, it just depends. Um, you know, there's this, we were talking about myths earlier. There's a myth that you can't make an alcohol. If you put an alcoholic into a treatment program that doesn't want to be there, that, you know, they have to want to go for it to work, that's complete bunk. You, you need, if you know an alcoholic that's a functional alcoholic, get him into treatment you know, by hook or crook. Get them in there no matter what, because once they're in there, they start getting sober. Once they start getting sober, parts of their brain come back online. And many times they'll change their mind and realize, gosh, this, this is a godsend. I really needed to be here. doesn't happen all the time. Um, but, you know, we get people all the time at Health that, you know, have a DWI and the court puts them in jail, or they only come because their spouse threatens to leave them or, you know, or, or take away the kids. All those people get better. I mean, I mean, not all, but you know, most of those people get better just because they're there in treatment and they can start. They just can't make a good decision if they're drinking every night and and deciding whether or not I'm an alcoholic. I mean, that that, that, that that's not something they want to admit. We can talk about that if you want, because that's actually a quite sure. of an important topic of why doesn't the alcoholic say they have a problem? Right. Would you well, like to discuss that real briefly? Sure, go ahead. I, I think that uh, along the questions Brad was asking, it the, the whole notion of obviously that has to do with who they become with the rewired brain. Uh, so yeah, right. let's talk. Why and they, is they, such they a, become different? They become different people. I mean, they, they become definitely a different person. But it depends. It depends a lot on their earlier personality and, and other factors. So you can't really predict exactly what they're going to become. But. Functional alcoholics can continue to drink, but they'll all end up getting into end stage in, in, in 100% of the cases. Um, it just may take a while for, long, for longer for other people. So let's just talk about why doesn't an alcoholic know they have a problem? Because if you look at most alcoholics, the, the, the last person in their life to know they have the problem is them. Everybody else in their, in their world that, that, with whom they interact, 
believe they uh, believe they have a problem and they should get help, but the alcoholic says, hell, I'm hiding this from everybody. I don't have a problem. That's what we call denial. Why, why do all the alcoholics have denial? Very simple. Alcohol, prefer- when it rewires the brain and injures the brain cells, it preferentially hits the front part of your brain called the frontal lobes. Now, the, that's unfortunate because the frontal lobes is the part of your brain that is responsible for multitasking, decision-making, regulating impulsivity and, and emotional regulation. Okay, but it also, the frontal lobes also control a very important quality called insight. Now, if I said, you know, what is insight? You probably think you know what it is, but let me define it for you. Insight's the ability to take different points of data, put those together and come up with a conclusion, looking at different pieces of data and say, oh, if X plus Y plus Z, then that must mean um, uh, G, is, G is the result. So you're, you're making a decision. That's insight. Addiction takes down the cells of the brain, the part of the brain that gives you insight, so an alcoholic doesn't have insight. So they can't, they, the part of their brain that tells them they have a problem is offline. So they can't tell, they can't tell they have a problem until they start to get sober. And after a while, they develop insight and go, holy smokes, why didn't anybody tell me about this before? I really have a problem here. Okay? And that, and, and that, that kind of revelation can get them to the next phase of treatment. But that's why, you got, if you see a loved one that has a problem drinking, you get one of these functional alcoholics, it's, you can tell there's a problem. Look at them. As, this is a medical emergency. They have a brain disease. They have a life-threatening disease. You need to get them help. You tell them to get help, they won't go to help. So, so when they say, I won't go, then, you, they, then usually the family backs off. Okay, he, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's handling this job. Okay, that's the wrong thing to do. Think of this, think of your loved one as actually, rather, just change diseases for a second. Your loved one is having a heart attack. They're laying there on the ground. They say their elephant's sitting on their chest. They can't breathe. You say, I'm calling 911. And you pick up the phone and say, oh, no, don't, don't call 911. I'll be okay. Let me just try and lay here for a while and see if I can't get better. Would anybody in their right mind say, okay, yeah, we'll just wait. Let's wait for a little while. No. You, you know, this person is going to die. The same thing, that's that imperativeness to get somebody into treatment, no matter what it takes, even if they don't want to go, that's what you need because their brain is the, doesn't have the ability to say, hey, you have a problem, go get help. And, and that's no. what's really weird about this disease. With cancer, hey, if you got cancer, you're going to go jump to a million hoops, Right. If you're going if you if you have a heart attack you're going to go do if you break your leg you know you're going to go get help you know I broke my leg I got to change the way I'm walking I got to wear this cast so but with an alcoholism you got to you got to go get treatment no I'm fine I'm okay so that's that's the conundrum that we all get and then with the social stigma a lot of people don't want to approach an alcoholic or a drug addict to to confront them about this cuz oh that's their own business I don't want to get in their business well you have an opportunity to save a life here you need to jump on it uh, we're going to be coming up on a break here soon, but uh, we do have a, a little time. Uh, you keep talking about treatment and people needing treatment, and obviously with the idea that treatment works. Um, and in your science-based medical practice, medical model practice, which is really what you've been evolving, developing, are we making progress in establishing treatment protocols that yield consistent, positive, predictable clinical outcomes for this disease? Uh Keep that question in mind uh, as as we go to break. We'll pick up there. And uh, uh, this is Alcohol Across America on Voice America's business channel. And after this short break, Brad and I will be discussing how to access the right treatment 
and also the recovery process for individuals with uh, alcohol disorders and their families. Thank you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Responsible Retailing Forum is a leader in the industry, bringing together public and private stakeholders, regulatory and enforcement agencies, attorneys general, public health agencies and producers, and community leaders and researchers in order to identify and promulgate best practices for responsible retailing and engage the stakeholders in examinations of responsible retailing policies. For more information on RR Forum or its partners, or how your community can get involved, please visit rrforum.org. If you are a small business owner or a creative freelancer in pretty much any field, you can't miss Let's Get Radical. Your hosts, Jody Paydar and Liz Gold, will help you redevelop your plans, policies, and practices to take a radical turn in order to achieve new success. They spotlight the latest in technology, attitudes, what others are doing, and what can help you. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And let's get radical. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Serju Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Alcohol Across America. We'd love to hear from you with questions and comments about our program. Please send an email to crever at rrforum.org. That's K-R-E-V-O-R at rrforum.org. Now back to Alcohol Across America. Welcome back. This is Charlie Curie with Alcohol Across America host Brad Crever, continuing our conversations with addiction treatment expert, Dr. Hal Urschel. Um, Hal, we, we ended our last segment with a question for you. Um, are we making progress in establishing treatment protocols that yield consistent, positive, and predictable clinical outcomes for this relapsing disease of alcoholism? We definitely are. The National Institute of Health, which consists of a whole bunch of different institutes that are funded by the government and all the great research that some you know, brilliant researchers do, um, have shown us that you know, for a while we studied what is this disease, and now that we figured out what the disease is, and we're still learning about that, but we know a lot more now that we have access to all the brain scanning and all the genetic and all the other basic science. But we have protocols on what you need to do. And the protocol is, for most substances, you're going to need a detox. You're going to need to get detox safely. And that's, that's what people think of as treatment. Well, detox is not treatment. Detox is like um, uh, if you have diabetes, detox is just getting your blood sugar stable first. And once your blood sugar is stable, then you start getting treatment for the disease so you don't get irregular blood sugars down the road. 
Okay. Well, what that's, the hell that's, you say that's detox, the type of thing we're doing. Is that really uh, withdrawal management, managing a withdrawal from the substance? Yeah, yes, managing the withdrawal, getting the, getting the substance out of your body. Since the body's so used to it, when you take the, bo- the substance out of your body and don't put it back in, the body goes through quite a bit of physiological changes where your blood pressure goes up, your pulse goes up. Uh, sometimes your brain, um, you can have a seizure as electrical activity goes a little bit extra ballistic. Um, and so it's a very uncomfortable state, and we have great protocols for treatment and keep people extremely comfortable and safe during that withdrawal period, which usually lasts between um, four and 12 days, depending on the substance. It can last a little bit longer, depending on some of the substances. Um, but you, you can use, you get a medical approach. A lot of those, that, a lot of that detox is done in a hospital. The withdrawal management is done in a hospital or a medical setting under a physician's care. And then, then people go on to the next phase of treatment, and that can be a variety of different um, tools. And I can talk about that in just a second a little bit more completely. But you go into the next phase of treatment that's getting the person stable, helping them to learn, okay, what am I going to do the next you know, six to 12 weeks to get to stay sober? How am I going to reboot my family, my job, my health, et cetera? Okay, and, and somebody, people work with the patients on that time. And then after that, that phase, so you have the withdrawal management called detox, and then you have the acute stabilization phase. And then the most important phase is then you need to stay in treatment for a long time, managing, helping to learn how to manage this chronic illness just like you do with diabetes or high blood pressure. And so um, addiction is my company, or EnterHealth, the company I work with, um, that we're actually an addiction disease management company. We manage the disease of addiction over the lifespan of the individual. And that disease management concept is very common in heart disease and diabetes, um, uh, hypertension, uh, lung disease, COPD. Those are the things, those are chronic diseases that people can live very successfully with, with high quality of life, but they're always having to continue to focus and remember they have a disease and change their behavior accordingly. That's, that's the secret to staying sober for a long period of time, going well, through those different phases. Well, I think one of the challenges to that uh, is, is it not uh, how that is uh, financed or reimbursed? I mean, there are um, um, in, insurance health payers that I know have historically put limits on types of treatment. When you talk about chronic disease management and put it in the context of a diabetes or a cancer or, or uh, these the other types of, of lifelong, if you will, uh, disorders that need to be managed, uh, uh, that's a real challenge for providing treatment for alcoholism. It, you know, it is. The reimbursement is getting a little bit better, but the problem is that most of the treatment programs out there are not delivering science-based care. And so when insurance is paying for it, when you do get insurance to pay for the treatment and getting more insurance and more money and resources to focus on getting treatment, which is what our country needs very much, at the same time, you need that treatment to be effective. So let's just briefly talk about that for a second because let me describe what the NIH model and the model we use here at EnterHealth is, and that is that is. With a brain illness, you actually have a variety of different challenges. One is um, psychiatric. Many times when your brain is hurt, the brain doesn't just manage your thinking. It also manages your mood states. And so, so often alcohol and drug addicts have depression, anxiety, manic depression, those types of things, obsessive-compulsive disorder, PTSD or trauma. 
those need to be managed in a psychiatric setting with psychiatric non-addicting psychiatric medications and all types of therapy, mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, all different types of therapies that can help people rebuild the coping skills they need to stay sober. And what do I mean by coping skills? Well, when you're using alcohol or drugs and you're addicted, that's your only coping skill. If you're happy, you get drunk. If you're sad, you get drunk. If you're jealous, you get drunk. If you get a bonus, you get drunk. If you get fired, you get drunk. So we now take alcohol away, and now we're going to force you to live your life without your main coping skill. We have to teach you new ones. Many times you already learned those in the past, and you were using them before you got addicted. So we, re, we kind of re-bring, bring those, new, those coping skills you had before back in, maybe teach you some new ones. And, and that's really, really important. But the psychiatric piece cannot be underestimated because that's usually what's not addressed in most treatment programs. Most treatment programs will focus on the alcohol or drugs. They'll use only AA, uh, AA working the steps. And, again, that's nothing wrong with that, but that's not treatment of a chronic brain illness when used by itself. Okay? You need to have the, the spiritual, the 12-step, which is a sober-based peer support system, which is great. You need to have psychiatric assessment and care. You need to also learn the blocking and tackling. How do you stay away from the people, places, and things? How do you deal with the cravings? How do you deal with the triggers? Um, you know, how are you going to go to a dinner in the future where people are drinking and not drink? Um, those are the types of things that are really important. With that comes a series of new medications. We have some new medicines that are out there that are FDA-approved that can help you stay sober more easily. Okay, for instance, could, you we tell, have a, could you tell us about some of those medications? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the medicines that's probably the most sexy is something called Vivitrol, V-I-V-I-T-R-O-L, and that's actually a long-acting medicine, long-acting version of a medicine called naltrexone, N-A-L-T-R-E-X-O-N-E. Naltrexone and Vivitrol are the same medicine. One, one is a pill you take every day, and one is a shot you get once a month, but both of them stop the, when, once they're in your body, Stop the short-circuiting of one of the areas of your brain that drives you back to relapse. So it quiets that area down, okay, without really almost any side effects at all, no sedation, no addiction, et cetera. And then if you do drink and you're on the Vivitrol or the naltrexone, you, can't, you don't feel it. You can't get drunk. So it makes you not want alcohol because you don't think about it anymore. And if you do drink, you don't feel it. So it's so much easier not to drink. So that's a, that's a really important, you know, that those medicines, the, the shot's been around for about 12 years now. It's paid for by almost every insurance company. Most physicians have never heard of it. Most treatment programs won't use it. So that's why we're talking about it on the show, that you know, our goal is to be create an educate, a better educated consumer to go out there and ask for the right treatments they need. Now, that doesn't mean if your treatment program is just an AA-based program, that's fine. Use it. But you need to go, at the same time, find good psychiatric services, you need some of these anti-addiction medications. You need to get family therapy. You need your family's been changed. You need to address that. You need individual therapy to help you with your own particular specific issues around relapse and addiction and depression, etc. You need to learn new healthy coping skills using wellness, stress management, uh, nutrition. All of those pieces... Uh, you, you then also pair with medical. You have to go back to your PCP, get your high blood pressure treated, get your dentist to make sure your teeth are okay. That sounds like a lot, but remember, you've been hurting all parts of your body using these substances at high doses for a long time. It's going to take a while for it to work. And unfortunately, you're mentioning you know, insurance, Charlie. The insurance doesn't like to pay for very long. They don't like to pay very much, and they don't like to pay very long. 
And so that's, that's going to be a real challenge. That's sort of the yin-yang with this. We have the science. It's not readily available out there, but the, the consumer can learn it and ask for what they need. But then a lot of times insurance won't either pay for it at all or pay for it for long enough. Insurance might pay for, for the stabilization for two to four weeks. Well, if you've been using it for 10 years, it's going to take a lot longer than a month for your brain to reboot. I already said it's going to, the science shows it's going to take 12 months. So there's all these different things, these challenges out there for the consumer, for the family with an addict. And so if you want to get, find the resources, um, you, you go to our website, EnterHealth, E-N-T-E-R-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. It will lay out for you what you need to, to use. You may not be able to come to EnterHealth for a variety of reasons, but if you can, we're sort of a one-stop shop. But we can also show you other programs that, that are good that in your area, et cetera. And we also show you what are the pieces of, of the treatment of the science that you need that you may not have heard about or that your loved one may not have heard about who's sitting in a treatment program, say, in Nebraska. Okay, and so that, that, that's sort of the magic sauce. The secret sauce is that it's a brain illness, and it's a complicated brain illness. It's different for each person, so you have to have a different set of services. But you can't just get AA if you want that 85, you know, 80, 75 to 80% long-term success rate. Um, and if you, get, if you get all the services you need, you have a really great chance of having a great life. And that's, that's what's so fun is just when you give them all the tools, they go, wow, this is awesome. I feel great. I don't miss it at all. Maybe I do. Maybe I miss it a little bit, but I really don't. I don't really think about it very much. So I'm so enjoying with my family again. My, I got my wife back. I got my kids back. I got my third promotion in, in a year. I'm so excited. Those are all the perks of sobriety and getting the right treatment. Well, it, what I think significant about this conversation is you truly are making a distinction among different types of treatment approaches, and obviously you're advocating a comprehensive uh, a treatment approach, holistic, that addresses the physical, biological, the emotional, the social, the family, the spiritual aspects on an ongoing basis with the idea that recovery is a, a long-term journey, but all those elements are necessary. And it yeah. strikes me that as you talk about uh, treatment and, and uh, well, insurance companies, you also are in the process in developing these treatment protocols that, uh, including medication, that yield predictable positive outcomes. That in and of itself will help convince payers over time, do you think, that, uh, all right, this is a worthwhile investment and actually it, it not only will help save lives, but it also is more cost effective in the long run if it's done right. That's what we have to get them to understand. The insurance companies are so short-term focused that they don't see the investing. Because as you know, Charlie, when you were working at heading up SAMHSA, you know, very clear, large programs like you know the Pew Charitable Trust or the RAND studies have showed every dollar you invest in treatment, in treatment resources, you get back 12 to 1 for society. It may take a few years. But you know, you, if you treat if you treat addiction effectively, your tr- cost for healthcare goes down, your cost for crime goes down, your worker productivity goes up, your, the taxes these people are paying go up. So the productivity is is monumental, and especially for an insurance company, because alcohol and drugs cause so many medical problems, it would save them a lot of money. But they're just so short sighted right now. So we have to get them to kind of wake up and and really understand the science and stop you know stop focusing on just their short term profits. Because that's really what they're looking at right now. I, I talk to them probably once a week about, and they just they 
They just, they're not looking after the patient's best interest. They're looking after their own financial well, best interest. And well, over time, that's going to change, I know, because they'll, they'll understand that we just have a ways to go with them. Yeah, and, and part of it is our, the field hasn't been best in, in uh, demonstrating results historically. And, and no, absolutely. And if that, if, yeah. That's right. If a lot of part of people in the field are still using just the only the AA model, you're getting a 25% outcome rate. And so the insurance right. companies get frustrated. Why should we pay for sure. that? You know, you, get, you sure. can get AA for free. Why would you, should we pay for it? Absolutely. So, well, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of factors here, but you guys are hitting on a lot of the main ones. Yeah. I, I think uh, and you shared Enter Health, E N T E R. H-E-A-L-T-H, enterhealth.com as a resource. And it sounds like not only, uh, obviously, can people come to, to your facility for treatment, but you know, uh, like providers who take this science-based, medically-based uh, approach across the country, so you can be helpful to people in their areas. Also, I might mention, you mentioned SAMHSA, uh, SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov, SAMHSA dot gov has a treatment facility locator as well. And uh, as, as we look at you know, treatment and going for treatment, we see, especially in the opioid crisis, a lot of uh, fly-by-night or, or providers that are popping up uh, and, and, and it's becoming a, actually a scandal. Attorney generals right. across the country are looking at it. How, how can someone be assured they're, they're going to or seeking a credible provider? Well, I think it's like, especially if you, that's a great question. If you look at the websites of most treatment programs, they all say they're science-based. They all have all these services and you go there and they mainly just have AA approach, um, which again is very unethical in my mind. But what, what, people can do is they can, um, if they go to our website, there's under resources, there's actually a, a section that you can, you can look at that gives you 10 questions that you can ask um, to make sure that this treatment program is actually a science-based program. For instance, how often do they have a psychiatrist there? How often does the patient see the psychiatrist? How often are they getting individual therapy? Does the program, um, will the program prescribe anti-addiction medications if needed? What is the, what is the level of family involvement? How, how much is the family involved? The, those types of questions and more can be found on the, on our website and it can help you actually say, you, cause you'll call a treatment program and say, oh yeah, we do all this, but you could actually pin them down and say, okay, this is important to me. Do you provide this, 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 this service? Okay. Mm-hmm. One other thing yeah. I'll say, because I know we're about to finish, is if you go to enterhealth.com, if you remember at the beginning, we talked about my book, Healing the Addicted Brain. You don't have to buy it. You can go under enterhealth.com and uh, under, if you look at under the resources, Healing the Addicted Brain, you can download a free copy of the first chapter, which lays out almost everything we've talked about today, the science-based approach, the brain injury approach, even many of these medications. So it can be a nice summary for you to reread that at no cost to you to be able to go out and try and find the right treatment program uh, for you or your loved one. Well, thank you, Hal. Brad, let me turn it back to you. Well, that was just amazing. Uh, And, you know, there are some follow-up questions I have for you, Charlie, as the former SAMHSA administrator, about these issues of uh, insurance uh, availability. But that'll have to be for another time. But, uh, Hal, thank you so much. That was fabulous. Next week, uh, Alcohol Across America's topic will be Alcohol Responsibility Programming from Birth to Maturity. Co-host Scott Wexler and I will examine alcohol beverage industry responsibility and programming from its initiation to the 
current day. Our conversation will review some of the key initiatives over the year and look forward to future programming activity. Uh, For Alcohol Across America, this is Brad Kremer. Thank you for joining us this week for Alcohol Across America. Please join Dr. Brad Krever and another weekly guest expert next Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until our next program, be safe and have a great week.